You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 201, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this edition of the podcast, I chatted with Nick Lessa of Dayton Swim Club, the Los Angeles-based band, which is the project of Flessa, guitarist Mario Luna, and vocalist Dominique Madelson released their debut EP, Hangman, in September on Perpetual Doom. Drawing on themes of American suburban discontent and what Flessa describes as the American death cult, the seven songs on Hangman are devastatingly eerie and rich with dark synth textures. Flessa's lyrics tell stories of the seedier side of Americana, touching on the sinister inclinations of seemingly everyday people. During our interview, Flessa and I chatted about how he drew inspiration for these songs while living next to a golf course in Palm Springs during quarantine, how Dayton Swim Club evolved into a more collaborative project, what it was like meeting John Doe of Los Angeles punk legends X, and much more. Flessa also shared a bit of background about his work with Jerome Henderson, a death row inmate in Ohio who Flessa has corresponded with extensively. Plus, he picked some awesome records from my collection, including some great ones from Pylon, John Cale, Mary Lattimore, and more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Nick Flessa of Los Angeles's Dayton Swim Club. Very, very excited to have Nick here today. Their new album, Hangman, is out now via Perpetual Doom, a label that we love and are very familiar and acquainted with. A lot of great stuff being put out on that label, especially this year, I got to say. Perpetual Doom has had a great 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an awesome label. And yeah. it's a one-man show run by uh, Mr. Lou Cristello. Yeah. What a guy. He, I never met him in real life, but he told me that he used to live in Jersey City, which is where I live. And now I know he lives in New Hope, Pennsylvania. But he is... A wonderful music guy, I gotta say. Yeah, totally. And I heard through the grapevine that he may have some plans of relocating a little bit closer to the city. Um, although I don't know if any of that has solidified yet. So Interesting. All right. I mean well, to uh, leak that info. A lot of Lou rumors swirling out there about yeah, his yeah. place of residence. We'll see what develops. But congratulations <laughs> on the release of Hangman. Tell me about 
um, I guess a little bit about how the album came together. So, in a sense, it was kind of a quarantine record, but we did record... It, it was born out of demos that we recorded basically pre-pandemic a few months before. Um, and then Mario and I kind of worked on it. Mario Luna, the main guitarist and producer and kind of graphic designer for the project. Uh, we worked together and he and I had a correspondence where we just, I tracked vocals remotely and we went back and forth on mixes and did it kind of uh, postal service style. Oh, sick. Um, yeah. For the most part. Uh, and then with a few in-person sessions at moments uh, during the original lockdown where things kind of eased up or uh, people began to get vaccinated or things were a little more chill for, for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we managed to put together some sessions um, IRL, but largely it was from kind of using uh, demos from before the lockdown as a foundation and then... Um, you know, uh, sort of piecing things together remotely. Yeah, afterwards. it's such a crazy way to put a record together that a lot of people had to engage in over the last year and a half. But I know Dayton Swim Club kind of evolved from your own solo band, Nick Flessa band. Uh, how'd that happen? And kind of just why did that happen? Did your did this kind of shift from a solo project to something more collaborative or do you view this as something separate from Nick Flesser and the Nick Flesser band well <laughs> it's uh it's a complicated question i guess i think <laughs> basically we uh yeah it, it kind of evolved into being something a little more collaborative uh yeah. i had a regular lineup of people that i played with for over a year and um we began writing new material and it kind of ceased to just be me so in that sense uh it did evolve from the live show and the things that i was doing and developing within that so it's still very much uh my project in that sense but it is opened up to a lot more or it has opened up to a lot more collaboration uh, specifically with Mario Luna's compositions and kind of Dominique's arrangements. And uh, yeah, it's it's more of a band than a solo project. And I think the intention of it is a little bit more focused. Um, I had a kind of ramshackle approach of getting my friends together and just kind of having a crazy big band on stage for a live show. And this has become a little bit more uh, dialed in, if you will. That's interesting that you say that because in listening to your last EP, Hey Partner, that did seem to be like really focused and far as the sound you were going for it seemed to be like a very specific experiment for you where all the oh, music yeah, was sure. made on what sounded <laughs> like these casio synths and drum machines so yeah. i'm wondering creatively how'd you get from doing something like that like a year two years ago to making something that sounds like a hangman now yeah well <laughs> The thing about Hey Partner was that those recordings actually were laying around for a long time. So yeah, they, yeah. Um, so I would get invited to do solo stuff without my band a lot, and uh, I figured I would try to develop something a little more um, 
fun than me getting up and playing acoustic guitar or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, uh, you know, I wanted to, uh, try something different and, um, yeah, I wrote these songs for these kind of drum machine presets and had my friend do sax or electronic sax arrangements on top of them. And I would take that and play house shows and do kind of solo gigs with that. Um, I'm actually going to do that later this month at a fundraiser for Albert Corrado, who's running for city council in District 13 of L.A. here, um, who I've worked with in the past on some things. Um, but yeah, I'm going to bring the hey partner set kind of uh back uh but yeah i mean i guess speaking to uh the uh the approach of um you know kind of really developing an idea and then leaving it behind i think it comes from almost like a it comes from kind of the art side of things um you know sort of fully exploring a concept and then yeah. abandoning it afterwards uh or maybe not abandoning it but you know trying being able to try something uh, be, else yeah yeah, being able to be fluid with those things, I guess. Tell me about then how the concept for what this project, Dayton Swim Club, would sound like came from. In listening to your solo record before Hey Partner, there does seem to be kind of pieces of what you hear on Hangman, kind of the you know narrative dark storytelling in the lyrics but it, it's more folk and country oriented this kind of has more goth and post-punk textures on this record so how'd you kind of begin to incorporate incorporate more of those sonic elements on this record i think it came from a flexibility um in arrangements on the live show on the live side of things so i put out this ep called shooting the shit um back in 2019 i believe and the songs are a little more caustic they're a little bit more uh kind of in your face sarcastic i don't know but they're still recorded in kind of a um yeah something of a country rock idiom and um but when adapting it to like bigger stages i really um kind of allowed the band to be uh susceptible in a way to the influences of the people that i was playing with yeah their sounds mostly dominique and mario um and yeah we kind of were playing more with people in kind of uh from a kind of post-punk and goth background yeah anyway uh so i just sort of adapted what i was doing lyrically and whatnot to that space sonically which was our live show for the majority of 2019 so uh kind of what you see in dayton swim club is uh in a way a fully developed version of what we were doing with that exploration with a new set of songs new lyrics and kind of new composers involved in it um beyond just me and you know getting together some chords and kind of having a literary uh performance kind of approach yeah you've mentioned uh dominique your your bandmate i mean i love the vocal interplay between the two of you on this record and i've wondered if you've gotten the the x comparison yet because it it just really reminds me of like john doe and exine and i was just wondering if that's a band that inspired you guys at all given their kind of mixture of country storytelling and punk and their lyrics are also kind of similarly pretty dark and you know, focus on, you know, 
different characters, American characters. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we, we have gotten that comparison. I think it's a super flattering comparison because it's a tough thing to kind of pull off. Um, and yeah, I definitely do feel an affinity for uh, X's music. And um, yeah, whether it was, um, it's kind of something that, Without sounding facetious about it, it's something that came together pretty organically just yeah. based on the dynamics between the people in our project. Like, we didn't necessarily set out to sound like X, but then at times where things do, uh, you know, line up for it to be that way, then we're kind of pleased with it. And it's certainly a uh, unconscious influence in a sense, uh, if if that makes sense. Totally. Um, it, it's, it's a really cool, you know, haunting vocal interplay that is such a key characteristic of the songs on hangman really makes them stand out it's cool yeah thank you yeah i had an opportunity to meet x like four years back or something my one of my good buddies was playing bass with uh victoria williams you familiar with her at all yeah 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 uh and she was they were doing their reunion show down at the observatory and uh yeah, Victoria was opening, and I went backstage. The lineup was Victoria Williams, uh, Mike Watt, and the Second Men. And yeah, Max. sick. <laughs> that's that's pretty L.A. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty L.A. I love it. Yeah, uh, it was super sick. A lot of fun to actually get to like interface with those guys, say what's up, you know, shake John Doe's hand and everything. <laughs> Mike yeah. Watt. I've met Mike Watt before too. He's an interesting guy. Great oh, yeah. guy interesting yeah. guy though but he'll always take a picture with you and stuff which yeah is nice, definitely super know? friendly socal san pedro ledge but like uh yeah definitely a guy who has a pre-show ritual which uh i learned about you know just being backstage with him totally so hangman uh record again it's really dark and deep kind of explores the concept of american self-destruction and violence as reading a quote of yours in buzz bands la for the track landers and i thought it was interesting because you were kind of comparing the the intersection of these this kind of micro real world experience that you were having uh and the kind of macro concept of american self-destruction you described at the time you're living next to a golf course while quarantined uh you were considering the amount of resources it takes to keep it manicured and at the same time you you described like feeling the weight of american self-destruction in that time at that time in like a broader sense so i thought it was cool about how those two things kind of met at the same time for you while you were inspired to, I guess, do the vocals of that song. What were you referring to in a specific, uh, specifically in terms of American self-destruction? And when do you think that destruction in a broader sense kind of came into intersected with what you were experiencing uh, in that moment? I think it's something that has been on my mind for a long time just kind of as a kind of i don't know student of american literature and thinking about that um kind of the the uh 
the twisted psyche of our national culture, which is a very reductive and broad statement, I will say. It's like <laughs> there's a lot more going on than that. But in terms of like dominant culture, uh, I don't know. I think about Cormac McCarthy's like Blood Meridian and just, just this sort of legacy of destruction and westward expansionism and kind of like colonialism in, in the United States. Uh, and that just being like intrinsic to the landscape in a certain way and ways that just get washed over a lot by, you know, our day-to-day lives and the reality that we kind of live in that's a little more mundane. But, I mean, it was definitely COVID (laughs) that I'm kind of talking about in a bigger way. And uh, just being in an isolated place and kind of watching it all go down and feeling like the world was ending and kind of the... uh, Maybe the world wasn't ending, but uh, the basically kind of cult of individualism as it exists here was like uh reaching its logical and deranged conclusion or something yeah and it's so interesting because when you talked about i guess living next to that golf course because the golf course is such like a microcosm of that broader concept almost because it's just like natural land destroyed and manipulated for whatever reason and used artificially sort of yeah and we're in a drought here in california and everything so it takes a lot of water to uh keep these things manicured there's just a lot of things about it uh and specifically even palm springs which i love and i feel super fortunate to have spent the time out there that I did, especially at that point in time, um, to be in a rel- relatively secluded setting where I could go swimming and uh, work remotely, was a huge, uh, you know, blessing for my mental health and whatnot. But uh, Palm Springs does, you know, have its own kind of racist history of segregation and exclusion, um, and is, you know. Um, built on top of the Agua Caliente reservation uh, and there's just like, I mean there's some interesting politics to that too but um, even when speaking of the golf course it's funny because the golf course that I was next to was a public golf course so it was you know a little bit more accessible to the general population versus a private golf course you know uh, gated behind a fence uh, that required membership and everything even within that stuff I feel like there are levels of nuance that are kind of uh, you know <sighs> food for thought <laughs> that's interesting that kind of history of palm springs that you were mentioning was that something that you had recently looked into well when i first moved to california um i was living in a place called valverde which was known as the black palm springs um it was where sort of black hollywood people during segregation um, or who were just kind of sort of gated from purchasing homes in Palm Springs. It was their kind of resort resort town. Um, and that's out near CalArts where I went to school. Uh, but it was the first place I lived in, in California. So uh, I, I got out there and I had known this history for a pretty long time before I even actually went to Palm Springs. Um, Wow, interesting. Yeah, allegedly James Earl Jones had a house out there um, at one point in time. There's some legacy. Now it is not um, really that at all. It's kind of more of a uh, a 
just kind of small mountain town uh, with mostly middle class kind of people. No, no celebrities with homes <laughs> out there yeah. anymore. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting spot. Something you reference on this record and describing this record is the American death cult. You reference that when describing some of the themes explored on this record. And I also think it's interesting because this record also dives into char certain characters that are just ordinary people. How do you see like the American death cult impacting some of the everyday people that you explore in your songs? I think it's, um, you know, it's something that I have like a kind of dual perspective on because I'm, I'm originally from Southern Ohio and I'm yeah. from not just, uh, I'm from Cincinnati, but I'm also from the suburbs on the East side of Cincinnati, which is a particularly, uh, downtrodden and, uh, kind of opioid ridden place yeah, um, shit. mixed with kind of extreme affluence. Um, my family's from the city, so um, I was always kind of a bit of a city kid growing up in a country kind of place. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of my uh, perspective uh, comes from that, I think. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I've watched some of this shit go down. I mean, it's, uh, it's one of those things where because of a lack of... Uh, you know, structural, economic resources, opportunities, whatever you want to call it, like, you know, um, and because of just class stratification increasing so much in these places, you know, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, which I kind of hold to be a thing that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, these, you, you know, um, I mean, there's a lot of kind of type of everyday people, but I think some of the people that I'm writing about are inspired by uh, people that, maybe I grew up with in those areas or yeah. have some kind of, uh, uh, insight as to where, where they're coming from. Um, and, uh, kind of the general misdirected aggression that stems from, um, you know, being, uh, marginalized in a way that you don't actually even understand. Um, and I think that, yeah, in that way, it's kind of speaking to that, um, that sort of uh i don't know that that very potent power of um just sort of uh the anger of people who uh are angry about the wrong things yeah whether whether it be uh you know they're they're <laughs> could, could be focused on structural things and they're picking a fight with somebody at the mall uh, in the case of predatory <laughs> drift, yeah, that <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a way to blow off steam to bigger, scarier things like uh, QAnon and uh, you know all of that type of stuff. Uh, you could easily take it there too, but um, yeah, it is kind of about that type of. Like, I guess I, I I sort of imagine it being you know in that case Midwestern uh, white people, but. At the same time, you know, uh, a lot of the musical component is very uh, West Coast versus yeah, uh, yeah. Southwest. And uh, the main composer collaborator I'm working with, Mario Luna, uh, is, well, both his parents are from Mexico. He's from um, a border town and, uh, in Calexico. And 
originally grew up there like as a kid and uh, he's kind of speaking to weirdly a similar kind of sentiment that exists in those types of areas as well but coming at it from a, a different place and i think that that combination is kind of potent um totally it's, yeah go ahead. so fascinating and really really cool listen it's great that you referenced uh, predatory drift because that's my next question predatory drift great standout track on the record what i liked about it and what really jumped out to me was it seems to be one of the more explicit narratives on the record as it identifies characters by name there's a reference to danielle and terry and so i was just curious about the inspiration behind that track and how you were able to bring those two characters to life in it. Yeah. So that one has kind of a good story behind it too. Um, so that was a, it was kind of born out of a demo that Mario sent me, um, pretty much structurally finished and everything on the music end and uh, he had given it the tentative title predatory drift. And, uh, he, he found this uh this term uh because he was having um some issues with his dog at the dog park she would like (laughs) kind of like everything would be cool and then all of a sudden she would freak out and like try to fight another dog um and he was so he sent me that kind of as a as a prompt in a way he was like yeah predatory drift uh it's it's when the dog gets angry out of nowhere for seemingly no reason (laughs) Um, and like, he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I relate to like, you know, maybe you've kind of built up some tension, whatever, uh, you're, you're upset about things that doesn't show. And all of a sudden you're out of nowhere, really aggressive to somebody. Um, and so I started thinking about that and I started thinking about, uh, this mall called Eastgate mall in um, sort of, uh, an area called union township and, Cincinnati, like five minutes away from my dad's house, the mall that I would go. It's pretty run down. There's some stores there still. But these guys would like cruise the strip there. They would literally just drive around and like uh, kind of souped up cars and like shout things at people and try to get out (laughs) and pick a fight and stuff. And uh, there's a skating rink nearby. Similar stuff would happen there. It was just basically like, um, yeah, kind of a uh, an American pastime to like go get into it at the mall and try to fight somebody for like yeah. allegedly disrespecting uh, one's uh, significant other. <laughs> Great American pastime. Uh, you know, for certain, uh, you know, for some. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, another thing is, yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, yeah, the sport of picking a fight or something. Uh but I also tried to adapt it to a more Southwest kind of landscape. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, um, is a little bit different. Um, Terry, I just really like the, like Terry is a, uh, is a man's name. Um, it's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very Southern name. Uh, I had a, have a good friend who, um, as a late uncle named Terry, who was a real character, like a, a former trucker from Kentucky. And um, so I always try to use it, use the name, use the idea of what somebody like Terry kind of represented to, um, I don't know, draw inspiration. And uh, yeah, Danielle, 
was just a really uh, popular girl's name at, at my high school. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. I know like way too, I knew way too many Danielles back in the day. Yeah. And now I like don't know any. Yeah, same. I guess that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened I, to all the Danielles. Yeah. I, well, uh, they're, they're represented in predatory drift. So <laughs> Danielle's out there to chill and listen to the song. Yeah. So what I also really liked, uh, Pillow Talk and Nightbreed, uh, tracks two and three, really vivid and follow a connected narrative that flows between the two of them, where uh, I guess a teen victim who's killed, uh, she returns to haunt her killer. Uh, tell us a little bit about that track and how did the story, I guess, grow into two songs from the original concept? I think it's, um, I guess it started with a, um, again, kind of writing to prompts uh, in a way. So uh, Predatory Drift was one of the tracks that actually was recorded pre-pandemic besides the vocals and um yeah i don't know it's i don't know if it's intentional or not but sometimes mario just puts these little uh like temporary titles on the demos and then i just sort of run with it (laughs) with the lyrics um but uh yeah the uh pillow talk i mean it really was so it was written first um, and it was kind of at the peak of a certain, um, I don't know, in, in a way it's a, it's a narrative song, it's a horror song, it's a nod to the, the classic, uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's all of those things, but it's also kind of a venting about just sort of, um, I don't know, people in positions of power that I uh, continued to hear about um, doing things that are highly related to what's in the song um, and going so far as to like a colleague of ours who allegedly there was a rumor floating around uh, killed someone in a hit and run car accident. Shit, yeah. That's <laughs> on not tour. good. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not, but it's like just the idea that that's out there um <sighs> it just felt like um, ripe for inspiration for, uh, you know, kind of writing a a revenge track, if you will, and doing it with the format of kind of, uh, yeah, somebody who has, uh, has been, um, you know, either spiritually or actually murdered in some capacity uh, coming back to kind of, get what's theirs and, and that way it is very much a me too kind of song uh in a certain sense not without being uh you know other things too but yeah um and it was in response to yeah just just some things like that and certainly like workplaces that i had been involved with in the past that uh shit like that went down and a lot of people had to walk away um, i worked at the santa family in la years ago um, there were a lot of issues with just like abuse of power by the people up top including sexual misconduct and stuff like that. And um, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. So basically, it's kind of coming from that place originally. Um, And 
yeah it it also kind of fulfills a fantasy of yeah you know the the tide that rises after uh, you know I don't, I don't know a certain type of yeah, revenge yeah. horror fantasy um those are the best kinds yeah yeah those are the best <laughs> kinds yeah nightbreed basically um you know was one I wrote later and when we were sequencing things before it even had lyrics, I yeah, I just figured it would be interesting to try to explore the interior the interiority of like, you know, the kind of guilty party. Um, yeah. That is cool. That's very cool to explore that. Or thinking about just the times where, you know, I don't know. We've all could, could imagine ourselves getting into a hit and run accident, could uh, have seen people we know driving drunk, have seen people doing kind of like yeah. irresponsible things that aren't quite there. But what if one thing were different? And, and it, then there's like actual consequences. Yeah. Because yeah. everything seems innocent when nothing happens, you know, kind of. Right. Going back to Predatory Drift, I did want to ask about the video because it's so fucked up in like such a great way. It's so oh, freaky. Yeah. It's so freaky and awesome. From the intro, the beginning moments where you walk in and there's these like black pumpkins and there's the subtitle dialogue, which kind of just adds to the like freakiness of it and how it speeds up and slows down at certain points for emphasis. And there's, you know, that bondaged guy in the car tell me all about the video how it relates to the song how it came together it's really really great everyone if you haven't watched it yet you should definitely do that yeah thank you um well the video you know is fully just kind of uh the um it 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 all came from Will Will Eisenfeld yeah. Baths, um, who is a good buddy and uh, one of Mario's oldest friends, uh, who I've gotten to know more in the past four or five years, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's very much his uh, his vision uh, to a T. He kind of uh, we approached him about directing a video because him and Mario had worked together a lot before. Um, and he's developed his own kind of distinctive style of subtitled videos like this, yeah. Um, which are all great. And I actually acted in one of them maybe three, four years ago nice. for his song "Out," uh, which is you know very much in the in the tone of uh, the yellow subtitles at the beginning of our video. Um, but yeah, I mean Mario and I have talked about it a lot, and it's kind of funny that. Um, there's a side of it where it could be viewed as a metaphor for the uh, the transformation of the band or for uh, Nick's, Nick Flaccid band becoming Dick's yeah, Club. <laughs> there you go. There you go, everyone. That's the deeper meaning there. It's uh, basically, you know, I mean, you can watch the video, but it involves um, my character, a sort of uh, normie schmuck trying to buy groceries. A <laughs> <laughs> like, um, sort of... Uh, being uh, a, I won't say willfully or unwillfully or whatever, be, being uh, inducted uh, by a larger power into a um, leather mask cult. Yeah, yes. Be- beautiful. <laughs> Love leather mask cults. Everyone check out the video. 
it rules. It's amazing. Your songs really explore the kind of haunting experiences of seeming ev everyday people in these like small, unassuming places in the United States. I was just curious about what about these places uh, did you find it attractive to explore through songs? To me, there's something like, you know, not appealing or attractive, but it's like kind of like interesting that there's some real like dark fucked up shit that happens in these unassuming places where you wouldn't expect it to happen. And that's like a reality. Yeah. Um, I think there's something kind of um, thrilling and yeah, disturbing yeah. about that. Um, yeah. You know, and it's um, certainly as somebody from, um, you know, I guess what people would call middle America, <laughs> I'm interested in people's perception of that. There's certainly yeah. a kind of uh, a coastal condescension towards what goes on with people, your normal ass, I mean, quote unquote, normal people in, uh, uh, <laughs> in inland. But uh, yeah, I mean, part of it is, um, is that kind of intrigue and also just what, what I know and, um, and what I don't know, what I can imagine about um, sort of where I'm coming from or something, uh, which is a kind of complicated thought to express. But basically, um, you know, there's things about yourself that you're the most uncomfortable with or the things that you've been adjacent to or around that you um, that still stick with you in kind of a dark way. And just kind of diving into that and exploring it as opposed to kind of walking away from it or acting like it doesn't exist. And I, I find something is like a transplant. There is, um, you know, there's a risk of, uh, you know, when diving into that stuff being condescending towards it. Uh, well, at the same time, there's an importance of, you know, just acknowledging its reality and trying yeah. to sweep it under the rug and this, uh, neoliberal kind of uh, way and then uh, the real politics of it go away and all of a sudden we're you know overrun by these all these people are just out there and they're real pissed and they're uh you know uh storming the capital <laughs> i don't know yeah storming the capital <laughs> they're doing stuff dangerous shit because they're pissed but yeah i tried to kind of i don't know uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm mostly interested in it because I just uh, because I've been around it and it's yeah. because I have a connection to it and also a, a distance from it. But I can sort of uh, I don't know balance the closeness and the distance in a way that uh, you know. Th does that's like interesting. A, yeah, that's like a good way to analyze it, though because you have some distance from it, but you were within it at some point. What else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, and but, but with the format of the band, I mean, it's really, I think, powerful to approach these things in a way that is, uh, like, L.A. is a very intersectional city, and even talking about, like, my friendship with Mario and his approach and sort of the different, like, uh, cultural geographies and sociopolitical 
places that we're drawing from when making the art and even the people who are performing it live and the band and everything it uh it opens it up to be something a little more uh expansive i think uh that like brings other people's voices into a similar sentiment if totally i wanted to ask you now transitioning away from hangman for a minute about how you put together this really compelling, I guess, visual art exhibit on Jerome Henderson, who's an inmate on death row in your home state of Ohio. I guess you conversed with him via letters and then you displayed it. And there were other pieces associated with the show as well. So I was wondering how you initially connected with him and what made you want to, I guess, create this visual art project or installation piece on that specifically yeah so in a way that was well it's it's a bit of a long story but i'll try to make it short um so my my mom was an artist and writer uh she passed away in 2010 uh and she left behind a lot of work and um i worked uh, for several years at Los Angeles Contemporary Archive, which is sort of uh, a uh, project space in uh, Chinatown and uh, here in Los Angeles that kind of uh, basically opens up what would be like a very institutional archive and allows for uh, materials that normally would be left out and to uh, sort of be part of their collection and does exhibitions surrounding that, etc. Which is it's it's a very uh, niche kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I worked there, and I did this archive of my mom's stuff, and I started to look into also her career as a prosecutor um, in Hamilton County in Cincinnati in the 1980s. And I learned that she was involved in this death penalty trial, uh, and I found something of a paper trail around it. Um, it was my understanding that Jerome was not Jerome Henderson, the uh, the person who was uh, prosecuted, was not on death row anymore. Um, but I learned later through um, over the course of a couple of years doing research on this stuff that he still was. I got into contact with him um, and I basically took on the project of putting together a comprehensive like archive of basically everything surrounding his trial, everything that was wrong with it, things that were technically conducted illegally and just the bureaucracy of what it's like for someone to be trapped on death row for 35 years so he's been there since 85 he has he has been on ohio's death row since longer than i have been alive so um and my mom was an assistant prosecutor on the trial and that's that's kind of the personal connection that drew me to it and um uh, eventually got me in touch with him and um yeah, so I had done some some uh, readings and things surrounding it before, and I had an opportunity to do this um, installation through uh, Human Resources, which is uh, a gallery and project space uh, that funds a lot of artists based here in L.A. Um, but at that point, the visual art, I think, was just more tied to the activism of like the gesture of doing it like basically it was just a way it was a a vessel to reach people at that point so yeah i'm still working on that stuff in fact i'm going back to cincinnati in a couple of weeks here to pick up the full docket every paper that i could possibly get from the county clerks on the trial and uh 
meeting with my friend who is a, a lawyer who's kind of been helping me craft some legal, legal arguments to uh, approach uh, the governor of Ohio for a clemency plea. Wow, um, wow, wow. Yeah, so that's been, it's been a slow burn. I've been kind of uh, in music world <laughs> the past uh, three, four months. But uh, yeah, Jerome is, uh, he still has an execution date set for 2023. Um, and uh, I mean, Ohio has not executed anybody in a while, and they can't get the chemicals to do lethal injection anymore. So we have possibly some leeway, but I don't know. It's one of those issues where it just has not gone away. So, um, Yeah. So what I was interested, because this is such a huge project that evolved from, sounds like something you were approaching as an archival thing. And then it was also kind of an art thing. And now it's it's even beyond that because you're like basically advocating on his behalf. It's, it's cool yeah. how it evolved in, in that way. I was kind of I was kind of going to ask because this was like kind of the way I'm always interested about how artists that engage in multiple types of artistic disciplines like visual art and music why because this is this is someone that is kind of a you know everyday person and it sounds like you got fucked over like how how is this you know how did this become something else and maybe not a song necessarily you know how is this something that you didn't explore or decided like oh this is not something i want to explore through music or songwriting but i want to explore it outside of that yeah, I think um, when it comes to the stuff with Jerome, that was kind of a uh, like an ethical choice for yeah. me, just because I I um, I guess I view my involvement as having the potential to actually like maybe not fix his circumstance, but mitigate it in some capacity. And that yeah. um, if I'm going to engage with him and if I'm going to kind of make work with him or about him or as a venue to drawing attention to his situation, that um, I need to kind of go, uh, you know, full throttle on that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that there's a space for uh, – kind of more speculative work or personal kind of thoughts on somebody's life situation. Yeah. And maybe it could take the form of a song also at some point that might be supplementary to it and it might not be a bad idea, but I think uh, the, the real focus, I think when working with somebody like that, who has such a dire life or death circumstance and who has, you know, undergone psychological torture basically for the yeah. past, for longer than, again, I've even been alive for, he's, this has been going on with him for 35 years. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, um, I guess it is, uh, incumbent upon me as the artist or even just as a person engaging yeah. with the situation to, um, you know, to do what I can to um, lessen the harm done, especially given my family's history and involvement, um, which I don't feel like I um, am personally fully responsible for writing that wrong, but I can uh, at least try to um, get an honest version of the story out there and I can, uh, you know, try to advocate in realistic ways that um, 
Jerome doesn't necessarily have the resources to do given his situation. Yeah. This is an incredible story. I didn't know all this uh, background and connection to it. So thank you for sharing it. Really, yeah. really compelling story. Thank you wow. for asking about it. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, man. So let's yeah. go back to music, though, before we play some songs from Hangman. I was reading that Dayton Swim Club puts on a sick live show. And now with live shows basically back, what can people expect from a typical uh, Dayton Swim Club live performance? Um, a big band, a lot of great players, a very kind of well-rehearsed and theatrical set. Um, some of the record. Some, <laughs> some of new not stuff, the record. Yeah, some old nice. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm super pleased with... Um, where we've landed with the live show. Um, we have one show left in December um, at a new venue called the Goldfish. Uh, we've played a few so far, um, kind of surrounding the release, did a little bit of light touring with Austin Leonard Jones um, and um, also played a, a big show at zebulon back in uh september which was kind of before our record came out but it was basically our release show yeah yeah um yeah uh but uh it's um you know it's a it's a uh it's a big loud beautiful band <laughs> beautiful that's awesome i hope to see dayton swim club live someday soon all right, everyone, now we're going to play some tracks from Dayton Swim Club's new album, Hangman. We're going to hear some tracks we talked about, Pillow Talk, Night Breed, and Predatory Drift. And everyone, you can get Hangman on cassette via Perpetual Doom. You could get it either at perpetualdoom.bandcamp.com or Perpetual Doom's website, perpetualdoom.com. <laughs> Hey. 
hide the body, toss it off, pair off, pass it off, move along, have some fun, do it up, graduate, write it off, rip it off, fuck it up, rock it off, pillow talk, soft talk, whispers. Like 
We just heard three tracks from Dayton Swim Club's new record, Hangman. We heard Pillow Talk. We heard Nightbreed. And we heard Predatory Drift. You can get Hangman on cassette via perpetualdoom.com or via perpetualdoom.bandcamp.com. That's the great label that put out hangman all right so 
Nick, you picked some records. We're going to talk about them. Starting off with your fellow Ohioans, Ohioans, or however you say, people that are native to Ohio. Native to Dayton, Ohio. Dayton Swim Club. Tons of connections here. Guided by Voices. Hot Freaks. Tell me a little bit about why you you picked this track. Well, I figured that I needed to do the shout out given our band name and given that Guided by Voices is kind of the staple from Dayton. Um, Yeah. And I did want to bring up, when we were talking earlier, um, just to give some context to the band name actually, uh, is that it was inspired by a YouTube video that came out I think in the mid 2000s, which is a um, sort of sorted tour of a uh, sex club off the freeway uh, that calls itself oh, nice. the Dayton Swim Club in the Dayton area. Um, and yeah, uh, it was kind of <laughs> originally a song title, which we then just decided to call the band. Um, so the final track on the record is. Um, is sort of a uh, a point by point uh, retelling of the video in a sense. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> I gotta look up that YouTube video because I love a good viral YouTube video. Yeah, yeah. Check it out, Dayton Swim Club. It'll be the second hit, maybe still ahead of our band. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, Hot Freaks, great kind of uh, raunchy Bob Pollard at his best, uh, short and sweet banger i love the song um and the lyrics kind of in terms of the uh, suggestive gross poetic quality i feel like are very akin to um a lot of what we're trying to do with our project took me to the new church and baptized me with salt she told me liquor So Tonight That I Might See by Mazzy Star. Off of So Tonight That I Might See. Yes. So this song kind of came to my attention pretty recently. Um, I DJed The Echo the other night for the Grady Strange residency, another uh, Perpetual Doom artist. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, it was a cool night. I played sax with Austin Leonard Jones, which was a blast. He was playing. Um but my bandmate Scarlett and I put together a uh, a playlist, uh, and you know, got out the CDJs and did the night. And this was one that we played kind of to start the night and to end it. And um, she was the one who kind of brought it to my attention, and I I just um, I love it. I love it vis a vis the sound of Dayton Swim Club, and even putting it alongside Hot Freaks. Uh, they're, they're kind of. Uh, a uh, bit of a yin and a yang. It's like hot freaks, short, sweet, aggressive. This is very uh, kind of uh, fluid, slow build, uh, beckoning. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think the uh, the combined energies of those two tracks uh, embody a lot of uh, what we're kind of about as a band. Yeah, Dayton Swim Club, baby. Goes by, small like 
John Cale, please, off of Vintage Violence. Yes. So this one was a, a Mario Select, and I really like this John Cale album. Um, lyrically, sonically, um, it kind of uses a classical sort of form and turns it upside down a little bit in a slightly tongue-in-cheek yet still rather sincere way. Um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a playful and, I don't know, both uh, kind of bright but sad song. Totally. It is bright yet sad. You've mentioned uh, Mario uh, a couple of times. I was just curious about how you two met and started collaborating. Is this your your first project that you're really collaborating on? Uh, Mario Luna is his name. Yeah, we um, well, we went to CalArts at the exact same time, but never met while we were there which is weird because it's a small school with like 1500 yeah. people um i was in film school he was in uh music tech so uh that may have been why but yeah. uh yeah we've worked on some stuff in the past he's played in my band for a long time recorded things here and there but this is the first full-on collab i would say um and yeah we started running into each other he saw my old band wash play at el cid back in like I don't know, 2014 or 15, a really Damn. long time ago. Um, and then I kept running into him at Caldy Coffee uh, in Atwater Village. And that actually also is where I met Dominique. Uh, she was working there. <laughs> Damn, so that coffee shop is where Dayton Swim Club, it's like the birthplace of this project, basically. Yes. One, one could say. Lattimore. Sometimes he's in my dreams off of Silver Ladders. Great record just released last year. Yes. So, um, like I was saying before, this is kind of a collaborative selection by the whole band, and this was Dominique's select, speaking of Dominique. So, she herself is an experimental, kind of extended technique vocalist who has her own solo project. Uh, she has a new record that I think is going to come out early 2022. Oh, nice. Um, and um, yeah, I was always a big fan of her music and it exists um, sort of within a folk kind of rock space, but largely in, um, yeah, a, a sort of free form um, experimental kind of uh, space. And I do some stuff like that as well. Like I play sax, I, I make kind of improvisational and instrumentally focused music in addition to doing all this stuff. Um, and um, yeah, I, I love the, I mean, I love this record and I, and I think her selection really speaks to um, the fact that, um, you know, 
I mean, we are a rock band in a sense, <laughs> but uh, we also kind of are coming at it with uh, different sort of sonic uh, influences um, in, in a way that sort of expands beyond, uh, you know, just yeah, your, your typical what our arrangement is as a, as a project. interviewed last year topographies rose of sharon off of their 2020 album ideal form is this a band that you played with i know they're from northern california they're from san francisco i believe but they definitely have that you know dark low-end heavy kind of goth sound yeah we have not actually played with them although i'd love to um this was a select by our bassist Daniel, uh, his project, his solo project is called Dearly Departure, and um, they're about to play Substance Festival um, in downtown LA later this month. Kind of a big uh, goth music fest. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and basically one one half of the current Dayton Swim Club lineup is uh, going to be performing that. So it'll be Daniel, Scarlett, and Mario are. Um, all part of that project uh in addition to our friend preston mendel um but yeah so this is daniel select and i kind of think it it really speaks to a lot of what he brings to the project and certainly uh a, a side of it that um sort of hasn't been represented in the playlist so far um but it's very beautiful um it's very uh yeah other than being driving and kind of low-end heavy it has this kind of like otherworldly melodic oh yeah absolutely dark and otherworldly yes Pumped for the next two selections, a couple of good old awesome bands from Athens, GA. First up, Pylon, crazy off of Chomp, released in 1983. What a great band. Really the like original Athens, Georgia band yeah. <laughs> when you really, really think about it that I think inspired bands like rem and the b-52s to do their thing and love tractor and all those other great bands that came out of athens georgia in the 1980s but i'm actually facebook friends with vanessa from pylon and she's super nice i've never met her but i think we have mutual friends and stuff like that but she's super nice person and it's cool to see that pylon uh, continues to do things all these years later they yeah. still play shows yeah um yeah i love that track that was another one that me and mario both agreed on and um definitely uh, sonically speaking something i think that is in the wheelhouse of what we're aspiring to yeah. 
That other Athens, Georgia band, B-52's Planet Claire. Yeah, I think that there is, um, well, I don't know how people feel about the B-52's anymore, but <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I, I love still, them. I love them. I still them. love them. Um, and that's a comparison that people have uh, brought up to us on our, more because of our live show, maybe, than yeah. recordings. Uh, and um, this track in particular, I think, in terms of kind of, well, one, the slow burn leading up to uh, the vocal drop uh, is something that um, we're really into, and I really see that in this. And uh, I think uh, just the B-52s in general, the kind of uh, unorthodox uh, operatic uh, vocal side of it mixed with kind of a frenzied live uh, exciting thing is... Uh, very much uh, in my wheelhouse and I think in the wheelhouse of some club. It's a great wheelhouse to be in. But not least, Nancy and Lee. Sand off of How Does That Grab You, released in 1966. Yeah, so I put this one in here because I feel like there was uh, the, the country component uh, has been a little bit underrepresented. And I mean, this is a certain type of country music. This is city country music. Um, but it's... Uh, just kind of a beautifully arranged narrative um, with one of the best uh, sort of reverse echo uh, guitar solos that I've ever heard before on it. Uh, smack dab in the middle. But it's it's a really efficient song in terms of the, uh, the storytelling, the interplay between the vocals, the characters, um, that kind of side of things that I'm just super appreciative of. Uh, that doesn't necessarily come through sonically in the music that we do, but I think uh, is an inspiration. Sadly, coming to the end of today's program with Nick Blessa of Dayton Swim Club. Everyone, their awesome new album, Hangman, is out now. You can get it on cassette via perpetualdoom.bandcamp.com. Or, of course, you could stream it on your platform of choice. Nick. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. You mentioned yeah. you got some gigs coming up. When are those? Where are those? So, um, 
Dayton Swim Club is playing again on December 10th at the Goldfish in Los Angeles with uh, a new uh, black metal band called Agriculture. Nice. Uh, and another kind of electronic goth project called Thief. Um, and aside from that, I'm also playing an Albert Corrado fundraiser. I think I'm going to play my uh, solo drum machine, Hey Partner material. Awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a city council candidate running on a progressive platform um, in an area of L.A. where a lot of artists and musicians live. Um, great guy. Um, and that show will be a lot of fun, too. That's great. Very, very important cause here in Jersey City, the area that we live in. We just had our elections and we're lucky enough to be represented by a guy named James Solomon, who is a progressive Democrat. And yeah. he was challenged by a guy on the mayor of Jersey City's ticket who is more moderate. And that guy got his butt kicked. <laughs> so that's, and we did, my wife and I did a little canvassing for James nice. Solomon. So we were happy that he won. He won by like a lot too. So everyone in Nick's district go out and vote for that dude. What's his name uh, again? Albert, Albert Corrado. <laughs> and when's, when's the, ele when's the election? Not until next year. So, okay. But you're yeah. fundraising now. That's fundraising good. You got to get yeah. an early start so that Absolutely. he can, you know, get get out there and meet and get his message out to people. Super important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Nick. And before we go, we're going to play one more song from Hangman. We're going to play the final track. DSC. And again, everyone, Dayton Swim Club will be at the Goldfish in Los Angeles on December 10th. Oh, my. 
So 